The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with a returning guest and another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it. Today, we're joined by Dr. Michael Fratkin, founder and director of Resolution Care. Dr. Fratkin, welcome back to the show. Good morning, Joe. Uh, thanks so much for making the time to get up so early and talk with us today. Before we start a discussion, could you take a few seconds and remind the audience about you and your background? Well, Joe, I'd like to introduce myself first as a father and a husband and a brother and a son. And I'm also what's called a palliative care doctor. And when this whole adventure began in spring of 2014, I was a burned out palliative care doctor working in a small community in far northern California, Humboldt County in California. And uh, I'd had it. I'd had it with the broken healthcare system, I'd had it with the imposition of electronic medical records, I'd had it with the ongoing scenario of four or five times more demand than I could match with capacity and a lack of team. See, palliative care is a team sport. People are best served in the face of serious illness by multiple perspectives in a coordinated fashion. So that team is a nurse, a social worker, a chaplain, and our model, a community health worker, and a doctor, all looking at the circumstances faced by a person and their family and addressing them in a coordinated and integrated fashion. Well, I was at the end of my rope. And in fact, I thought I was going to have to move out of the community that I loved and uh, go down the road to some bigger institution in some community that wasn't mine. Looked for a job. I got three offers in about three weeks. And every time I drove home to my home, the Redwood Forest, and I just didn't want to go. So what I did was I put together a few things. I, I noticed a few things in the world around me. Those things included video conferencing, and I tried it out and realized, wow, I can actually do this work with people in their homes at a distance, and it bloody well works. And in fact, in some ways, it works better than a face-to-face -face encounter in an outpatient clinic. And I discovered a project at the University of New Mexico called Project ECHO as a mechanism for sharing expertise, the expertise of a palliative care team freely with primary care practices and other practice settings. And I saw that as a huge opportunity to, well, to sort of clone myself. And then the third thing I stumbled across was a friend of mine with a crowdfunding campaign. And I put those things together, crafted a plan, and in November of 2014, I launched a crowdfunding campaign that was off the charts 
successful. We raised $150,000 in seed capital on January 1st, 2015. I walked into a donated space with my pal Leanne, and the two of us began Resolution Care. Resolution Care is essentially a palliative care delivery system that leverages technology to connect with people in their homes, either on the ground, sitting on their couch and eating their cookies, or via uh, video conferencing technology to engage and connect with them right where they live. And the rest is history that we can uh, get into uh, at your discretion. Outstanding. And we are going to peel this onion, but one of the things I think was important for our listeners last time, Dr. Fratkin, was differentiating palliative care from hospice care or talking about their similarities. How is palliative care different from hospice? Well, I'll start just historically. Their similarities are that I kind of arose from hospice soil. My exposure to the power and impact of person-centered, family-centered care in the home came from my experience as a hospice medical director. And so the skills, uh, symptom control, communication, a wise guidance, integrated interdisciplinary teamwork, all of that stuff is built from hospice soil. However, palliative care has kind of arisen over the last 15 years as a response to some of the constraints of the hospice model, the American hospice model that's defined by the economics and regulatory compliance realities of hospice care in the U.S. So hospice care, by design, is very specifically attuned to the very end of life, to the time at which a person has essentially had it with interacting with the traditional structures of our healthcare system. When a person is done with going to the hospital, when a person has completed their efforts to gain value out of medical technology or, for example, in a cancer patient, when they're done with cancer-directed treatments like chemotherapy and most radiotherapy and most surgery. And what they really want to do is go home, stay home, be seen as a person and assisted in the very last stages of life. Palliative care is an upstream solution. It's side of the box of Medicare hospice benefit. And it is really an extra layer of support added to all the services and all of the treatments they may be received from the medical system. So, for example, a person with advanced cancer that can't be cured may spend years of their life negotiating and strategically benefiting from cancer-directed treatment, or what's sometimes called palliative chemotherapy, not to cure the disease, not to change the ultimate outcome, but perhaps to push back on the cancer in a way that delivers improvement in their quality of life. Dr. Fracken, last time we talked about the fact that value-based payments were something that were coming, and you thought it would be very important for healthcare. In the 11 or 12 months since, have you been able to implement any kind of value-based program in your practice, or how are you preparing for them? Well, last year when we spoke in September, it was a bit of a dream. I was about to enter 
uh, pilot program with a Medicaid managed care organization in our very northern California region. And so since that time, we've participated in that pilot. We were able to use that pilot to onboard our initial team. And for six months, we enrolled patients aggressively and provided an incredibly high bar for quality of care for some of the most challenging patients you can select, the lower income people with a lot of confounding problems. These are people of lower income with confounding problems in the dimensions of substance abuse, mental health, and enormous straightforward social challenges like housing, transportation. Those are the kinds of things that our scrappy and creative team have become very good at addressing. And so with that pilot program, we received capitated payment. And at the end of the six-month pilot period, the success of the program was so clear that they extended indefinitely our ability to enroll patients in that program. So that's, that's one anchor for value-based payment. And so, yeah, we've got uh, anchor anyways in the beginning. We have other conversations going with other health plans in the state of California to diversify our customer base. But at this point, we have moved our proportion of capitated payments from moment I talked to you in September zero to about 50% of our total census, meaning 50% of our people we actually don't get paid very much at all for for Medicare patients and other insurers with which we have no contract, we essentially only get paid when I go visit them at home, uh, not with my nurse, my social worker, my chaplain, my community health worker, or when I do video conferencing, no payment. We just provide that as a community service while we're getting rolling, and we hope to increase the proportion of uh, capitated payment patients in our census to better than three-quarters for the Humboldt care team. That's awesome. Outstanding progress. Congratulations. Well, thank you so much. It's been quite a ride. <laughs> yes, it has. It's tough to be an innovator living out there on the edge. But uh... Yeah, I, li- I mean, one of the, the best metrics for our success is that we opened the doors in January in 2015. And by the end of this summer, I will have recruited a couple of more doctors. We'll be hiring another social worker. We've got three nurses, two community health workers, and one more coming, a chaplain, and then all the back office staff. I mean, we've got about 20 employees. Wow. And value-based payment is the only way that we could develop capacity like this, short of access to venture capital. And that wasn't our first choice. From two to 20 in less than two years, i got to applaud that. Yeah. Dr. Fracken, we've been doing a series on our show on Alzheimer's. I've been learning about patient-centered care. Will you talk about what patient-centered care means to you and to resolution care? Yeah. In fact, I take it one step further, Joe. There's something about moving people into healthcare settings, into clinics, into hospitals, into infusion suites that transforms them into patients. So patience is a, is a word that sort of narrows the identity of the person that you're engaged with and sort of objectifies them. And in the same way, uh, when we think of ourselves 
identified with their roles as doctors, nurses, social workers, or journalists, we narrow the frame. We think about things one step beyond patient-centered care to person-centered care. And we find that to be more than just a semantic conceit. It's a way of engaging not only the person in front of us, but implicitly the whole system around them, including their family, the people that love them, where they live, how that all works. And by doing all of our care based in a person's home, well, that's where people are people. They're not patients. And that comes straight through in all of our encounters. And with that comes a lot more insight into how to identify and problem solve for these folks. Because what's obvious when you're looking at a person centered in their own life may be lost when you're thinking about them as a patient with an illness. And so patient-centered care is one step up from the deeper concept that we use of person-centered care. It's about realizing who works for who. There's a a woman by the name of Diane Meyer. She is an unbelievable influencer, a thought leader, and pioneer in the realm of palliative care, uh, the director of the Center to Advance Palliative Care. And she was participating in one of our educational programs as guest faculty. And she, she said that what she sees happening in healthcare is akin to a Copernican revolution. She said Copernicus was that guy way back when who looked up at the sky with whatever primitive optics he had and he noticed that the planets were wobbling around in eccentric orbits that made no sense if you put the Earth at the center of the universe. He told people about that and uh, just about got imprisoned by the powers that be because the idea of moving the center of the universe from human beings on Earth to the sun was blasphemy, heresy, and dangerous. In the absence of the intertubes and the communication technology that we've gotten used to, it took 250 years for the truth to set him free, that actually the universe doesn't actually even spin around the sun, but the data suggested it did. And it changed everything about human beings related how they relate to the to the cosmos. In healthcare, we actually put doctors at the center of the universe historically. The 20th century model, doctors and delivery systems and procedures that can be billed for with a fee-for-service economics, anchors, doctors, and then health plans, and then hospitals, all at the center of the healthcare universe with our patients wobbling around in eccentric orbits and not necessarily getting what they need, but making sure that doctors and hospitals and health plans get what they need. Outstanding. Dr. Fracken, I know it's important for you to build a community-based business. Tell us about your passion around this community-based business in California. Absolutely. The whole reason that this burned-out physician built this growing enterprise was I didn't want to leave home. I love this place. There's about 1,500 people that I've cared for who've completed their life in my community. They're my ghosts. They live where I live. And the relationships I have with their families gives me kind of a that traditional country doctor experience wherever I go. I couldn't imagine just 
taking some job job down the road and having no relationship to the history of my work and my community. It also happens to be spectacularly beautiful. I'm sitting in a redwood forest a few minutes from the beach, and I love this place. And so that was the whole intention of building Resolution Care. It was a way for me to build a sustainable business where I wanted to live and where I wanted to raise my children. And the crowdfunding campaign was just a natural expression of that desire. Since that time, we're building a business that does require working capital. And rather than reaching outward to outside monies and venture capital or what some people call angels, I have a different relationship to angels. I wanted to figure out a way that I could ask this community to help me continue to build a service delivery and a vibrant business. And so we made some choices. The two kinds of businesses we had to choose from traditionally would be a for-profit organization that is designed specifically to return profits to investors or a non-profit organization where my experience in healthcare is that they function exactly like a for-profit business, just with a different accounting system. And the missions are quite often relegated to posters on the wall in hallway. We decided to do something different. And so we are registered and structured legally as a benefit corporation or benefit company. And what that does is, in addition to our organizing committee or management committee or board of directors, in addition to the responsibility to have good financial performance, they are fiduciarily, if that's a word, responsible to ensure that social returns on investment are returned to the community that the employees and the workforce that we create is beautifully cared for, treasured, and sustainably supported. It also bakes into our DNA attention to our environmental impact. And one can imagine that we can save a lot of carbon by reducing windshield time and using video conferencing technology to connect with our people. So we picked this benefit corporation and we're in process of being certified by B Lab as a B Corp. And that puts us of the companies like Patagonia, Seventh Generation, Method, Ben and Jerry's, New Belgian Brewery. These are all organizations that are looking to create value for all of their stakeholders, not just profits for shareholders, but all of their stakeholders, including society at large. And that is the natural expression of everything that started with a crowdfunding campaign. We're reaching out into our community. We have modest capital requirements. And for people with whom we have a relationship, we are inviting them to participate in our development round of funding. Outstanding. As you build this community-based business, can you tell us how you're ensuring that the well-being of your employees is a cornerstone of Resolution Care? Yeah, I've just invited a spectacular new team member, a gentleman by the name of Michael, who is a Silicon Valley refugee who has experience running teams of two and 300 remote workers and budgets of $50 million. The guy is super skilled, super sensitive. And we are breaking the mold on vertically oriented hierarchical management structures. We're trying to build 
a shared responsibility, a shared leadership structure, kind of reimagining organizational structure so that people have ownership of the process, responsibility to identify, solve problems, they're self-managing. And with those kinds of concepts, we'll give them a deep relationship to the mission of the work and a deep responsibility and accountability to forward it. In addition, we're investing in their professional development. And each year, they, each of our employees, from our administrative coordinators all the way up to the doctors, have a budget for professional development slash personal development. And that is written very broadly. And so in our reviews with those individuals about them assessing their own performance and receiving feedback from the management structure, we'll be exploring with them what would make a difference for them. Our people know that if they've got this many months of paid leave for delivery of a baby, they know that they can call and say, I'm not ready to come back. Or they can call and say, I want to come back sooner. They know that they can adapt and shift their roles as long as their communication is excellent with the team. They know that we treasure them and that this concept of those people in the bed that we are designed to serve, it turns out that those people in the bed, despite their challenge at the end of their life, are actually no more or less important than us. That core value that we and they are essentially of equal value infuses everything we do. And we're always taking as good care of each other as we are of the patients that we serve or the people that we serve. Outstanding. What's next for Resolution Care? What are you working on? Well, I mean, businesses like this thrive at scale. And so we've built a team and we're taking care of about 100 or so patients now. By the end of the year, we, with the help of our health plan partners, we'll take that up to 150. We are studying what works, what doesn't work, refining our measurement and uh, metrics. In next year, we plan to create three additional teams, seeing 120 to 150 people in other areas of the state with a combination of on-the-ground members of communities that will stand behind and a remote workforce that is networked up and engaged through sophisticated both visible video conferencing technology but also an integrated technology platform that connects them all to each other and no matter where they're working from Los Angeles, San Luis Obispo, Modesto, that they feel part of the culture of resolution care. So we'll launch three more teams next year, and then thereafter we'll have a playbook to scale a little bit more aggressively and probably shooting for four to six teams every year as long as we can hold the center, as long as we can execute and implement a scaling process while holding on to the soul and spirit of this enterprise. And then when we get to that place where it starts to get stressed, we'll take a step back and let other people come into the space to bring greater capacity to palliative care. We don't know how far we'll go, but we'll go as far as we can. I mean, it turns out in California alone, Joe, there are, by conservative estimates, 390,000 people today, tomorrow, next Tuesday, and next year, 390,000 people who their health plans agree would benefit 
from improved symptom control, better empowered decision-making, better navigation and coordination. And the thing about the health plans is they want better quality of life for their members. They want their members more satisfied, but they sure as heck also want to save money that's wasted in reactive and impulsive spending. With palliative care on the ground, they know that the return on investment for them after paying for us is probably four or five X. And so they're deeply invested in creating capacity for palliative care at high quality. And we're super excited to be aligned with health plans and health insurance companies rather than at odds with them. Absolutely. Before we let our audience go, I want to remind everyone listening to go right now to www.resolutioncare.com. Learn more about the great work that Dr. Fracken and his team are doing at Resolution Care. Dr. Fracken, it was so great to have you. Thanks for stopping by and sharing the great progress you're making with your team. Spectacular, Joe. It's really, it's really great to circle back and review the progress we've made. It's been kind of awe-inspiring for me. I can't quite understand how it's actually happened. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I'm really proud to hear the story, and I'll be really proud to share it. Fantastic. All right, and that wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Dr. Michael Fratkin, I'm Joe Lavelle. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare. Intrepid Healthcare.